If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh Overton. I'm the student pastor here at The Bridge. And again, we are so excited that you're here, online audience. Thank you for joining us today. I'm very excited to be here with you today. And I'm really excited about talking about a specific topic that really runs across my mind all the time. And when I tell you what it is, I really hope you don't view me as conceited or prideful because I promise you have nothing to be prideful about. In fact, Brooke and I have a running joke. We've been together dating and, and knowing each for about six, seven years now. And every time that I try to act cocky, every time I try to act like I got swag, like I'm cool, like I'm fresh, something happens. Like I'll trip, I'll fall, I'll do something to totally blow it out. So I am not conceited at all. But the thing that I think about a lot is legacy. Leaving a legacy when I'm gone from this earth. And I don't know about you, but maybe it's just because I'm a father of three. My daughter, Lainey, when she was born, she's our oldest. I mean, it like melted my heart. Those of you that have daughters in this room, dads in this room that have daughters, you know what that feels like, right? But my, my daughter melted my heart. But when my sons were born, I have two boys. When my sons were born, especially Judah, the oldest boy, and the middle child, pray for him. Uh, but Judah, it was like full-fledged Lion King in the room. Like, I'm Mufasa, he's Simba, I'm holding him up, showing the world. We have monkeys in the room, they're like painting stuff on his forehead. It was, this is my son. You know what I mean? This is it. This is the, the carrier of my name, the bearer of my legacy. And so I just really began to think about the life that I'm living and what I'm going to leave behind, especially when my kids were born. Or maybe it's because... I'm the student pastor, and the majority of my time is, is spent trying to take God's word and convey it to teenagers. And the, the, the want and the prayer and the desire for them to experience God here at the bridge and go on and do incredible things in their community. So my desire to leave a legacy isn't prideful. It's just that I know that my kids won't be toddlers forever. Uh, we just made the switch of putting the boys out of cribs into big boy beds yesterday. Pray for us, please. Uh, ben, my youngest, literally would climb up to swing from this trust if I let him. It's crazy in my house right now. But I also know that the students who are at the riot right now will not be in youth ministry forever. And I have a desire to see them not only encounter God, but live for God, not only survive, but thrive. And so, again, this desire to leave, leave a legacy is simply that I want to see students and my kids love God and live for God. And so I ask myself this question all the time, and that's the question that I'm going to pose to you this morning. Am I leveraging what God has given me? Am I leveraging what God has done for me and doing in me? Simply, this is the question, what do you do with what God has given to you? What do you do with what God has given to you. When I say the word legacy, that's a big word, right? So it's a weighty word. It's, 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 it's big. It's a massive word, right? So what do you think? What other words come to mind? Uh, maybe reputation, traditions, talents, problems. When I think of legacy, honestly, the first word that comes to my mind and the first thing that I go to is inheritance. What am I leaving behind for my kids and the ones that I love? I found an interesting article in Forbes magazine that said this. When asked what's most important to pass on to the next generation, the number one answer offered by 74% of those surveyed was values and life lessons. The answer financial 
assets or real estate came in last. And uh, instructions and wishes to be fulfilled and personal possessions of emotional value were in between. So simply, a legacy is not a resume, it's not a list of accomplishments, it's not even a will. By definition, my personal definition, legacy is the imprint that you will leave on the future. Your personal imprint that you will leave on the future. Notice I didn't just say your kids or your family. But the impact, the imprint and the impact that you make on this world. And here's the thing, if that's true, then all of us in this room, whether you're a student, a parent, single, retired, doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. We all leave a legacy. The question is, is it by default or is it by design? We're all leaving a legacy. So what do you do with what God has given you? Today we're going to look at a story in Exodus. Exodus is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Exodus chapter 31 is where we start. In my Bible, it's page 92, so not a lot has happened yet, right? We're still pretty early on in the Bible. Uh, but at this point, I just kind of set it up for you. For those of you who might not be familiar with where we are, essentially, in the beginning, God creates the world. We know this. He sets aside a people. He brands them as his people, right? The nation of Israel. They find themselves in slavery to the Egyptians in Egypt for decades, and they get to the point where they're like, okay, God has forgotten about us. We're not his people anymore. God has forgotten about us. And uh, we know the rest of the story. He raises up a leader named Moses. 9 a.m., wake up, baby. He, he raised up Moses, right, who led them out of slavery into the wilderness. See, years ago, before this, prior, God had established that they would inhabit the promised land. But at this point in the story, they were not there yet. They were on this journey to get to the promised land. They were on the way. By Exodus chapter 31, God had already given them the Ten Commandments and also some instructions on how his people were to engage him and worship him. See, they just came out of a culture where everything was worshipped. God wanted them to be set apart. He was the one true and only God, and he established these specific instructions on how they were to worship him. And then he gave uh, Israel a very detailed and specific instruction on how to build the ark of the covenant. Raise your hand really quick. Let's pretend we're in youth ministry for a second. Raise your hand if you know what the Ark of Covenant is. Raise your hand really quick. Cool. So you guys have seen Indiana Jones. Awesome. So, right, face-melting power, right? No, it's a fictional story of a very actual thing. God didn't dwell in a box because the Ark of the Covenant was essentially this, this sacred, or this, this container that held these sacred tablets, the Ten Commandments, right? But God didn't dwell in a box, but it was a physical reminder of his presence on earth and a place that they could gather and worship him. So that's where we pick it up in Exodus chapter 31. Look at your neighbor and say, Bezalel. Thank you, all ten of you. The rest of you who are still asleep, look at your neighbor and say, Bezalel. There we go, Bezalel. That's who we're going to talk about today. See, in verse 1 of chapter 31, and I'm going to read a few verses. We're going to take some time, hit pause, discuss it a little bit. Uh, but in verse 1, the Lord also spoke to Moses and says, look, I have appointed by name Bezalel. Everyone say Bezalel. There we go. Son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now, notice what God does here, okay? I picture 
just to kind of relate it to us, I picture Pastor Farrell as Moses. As in, just like the children of Israel, we look towards Pastor Farrell as the senior leader, the chief leader, the visionary. He calls the shots. What God tells him, he communicates to us. And then we as the people, as the army, mobilize to accomplish that purpose, right? Same thing with Moses. Moses was God's conduit to the people of Israel. But in this case, notice that immediately, again, God's given them the instructions to build the Ark of the Covenant here. God doesn't look at Moses and say, Moses, I know you've done this and you've done that and you, and you split the Red Sea and that was cool, but now I need you to do this too. No, God used Moses, had a very specific plan for Moses, but he's also showing us that Moses isn't supposed to do everything. Pastor Pharaoh isn't supposed to do everything. The people, you, a very specific call to Bezalel, which also shows us that God trusts us, that God loves us, and he chooses us in spite of our lives. And so he chooses Bezalel to do this very thing. Talk about legacy for a second. How would you love to come from the tribe of Judah? I mean, that's legacy, right? And I mean, you're talking about Bezalel, the guy who's about to build the Ark of the Covenant. Years later, King David, out of the same bloodline. Years later, the king of kings, King Jesus. Talk about legacy. See, anyway, he chooses Bezalel, and then we read in verse 3, I have filled him with, what's those next two words? I have filled him with what? God's spirit. If you have your Bible, underline that, circle it, highlight it, whatever you need to do to mark that down. We'll come back to that in just a second. He fills him with God's spirit, with wisdom and understanding and the ability and every craft. I love baseball. I love baseball. Football's back, and I'm glad. UNC's terrible. I still, but so, I can only get so invested, because I'm a Tar Heel fan, and I was so, like, up here, and I'm right back here. You know what I'm saying? Every year it happens. So I love baseball, because baseball doesn't let me down. In baseball, typically, the manager, the coach, will put his most consistent heater, he, heater, wow, hitter, it's 9 a.m., I need some more coffee, all right? He will place his most consistent hitter, at the top of the lineup because he wants to get a man on base so that his batters who hit for power, who will hopefully hit it out of the infield, can move him around and get him into scoring position and maybe even score him. So the leadoff hitter is very important. It's very important. It kicks the game off with momentum. gets everybody excited when you get a hit leading off in the game. So the leadoff position is very important. Notice what God leads off with. He calls Bezalel, and then the very next thing is, I have filled him with God's spirit. God shows us right there the only qualification that matters in this whole thing. In the next few verses, he lists out his skills and his talents, but he leads off with God's spirit. Some of us spend way too much time telling God what disqualifies us from doing what he wants us to do. But God just shows us the only qualification that matters, his spirit. Then in verse 4, it says, to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every craft. Now, I'm just suggesting, we see he's filled with God's spirit, but then it lists out all these specific trades and skills that he has. I'm just suggesting, where do you think that Bezalel had time to improve this craft and work on this gift, this passion that he has? While he was in slavery. During his oppression where he was primarily responsible for constructing and building statues and, tem and temples and buildings and working with gold, silver, and bronze and wood, God established his passion through his problems. 
God uh, increased his skill set in the midst of, of oppression. Now, here is the issue, though. Here's the issue. See, back when he was in Egypt, although he was not in the best of terms, he still had access to any of the resources that he needed to build. Because, again, Egyptians loved statues and jewels and constructing monuments and temples. And so he had access to all of these things. However, now he's in the middle of the desert, and God has given him specific instruction to build and craft a box laced with gold, silver, and bronze, and jewels. See, they didn't have Hobby Lobby or Lowe's around the corner. They had Amazon, but it wasn't Prime yet, you know? <laughs> You're welcome for that. You're welcome for that. His passion didn't line up with his placement. His passion, what he had a passion to do, what God had really called him to do, didn't line up with where he was. He had a passion to create, but he just wasn't in the right place. A lot of you can relate to Bezalel at this specific moment. You have a passion, you have a burden, you have skills, you want to do something, you feel God has called you to do it, but in your opinion, you're not in the right place. You're not there yet. You're not where you want to be. You don't have the influence you think you need. You don't have the title. You don't have the authority. But I'm here to tell you that God shows us right here that your purpose is not contingent on perfect. When you think, when you, and I've said things like this too. I, when I get here, then I can do what God's called me to do. When, I have, when, I'm in, when I'm wearing Pastor Farrell's Chuck Taylors and I'm preaching every Sunday, then I can really exert my influence and authority in what God, no, 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 no. It's not about where you are. It's not about the title. Because I'm telling you, God right now wants you to honor him where you are. And your purpose is not contingent on your placement. It's not contingent on perfect. Because chances are, if you can't honor God where you are right now, you will not be available to him to honor him when you get to where you think you need to get to to do that. How we honor God right now is so crucial to determining where you are. Again, the children of Israel who are hanging on this promise of the promised land have been wandering in the desert, in the wilderness. They're not where they want to be yet. And this is when God chooses to establish his worship. I think he's very meticulous in this because he probably knew that if he got into the promised land first and then tried to enact the, the, the life of worship, they would already be where they wanted to be. They wouldn't need God. They would think that they achieved it on themselves. So notice when God chooses to call Bezalel. You can, you can bank on this. When he gives you passions, he wants those passions to unfold wherever you are when you discover what they are. That's when he wants your passion to unfold. That's when he, he's really testing you. I love in verse 6, I love how God surrounds us with people to help. Because it says in verse 6 here, I have also selected Aholiab. Everyone say Aholiab. Aholiab. Son of, I'm not even going to pronounce that name, and I feel your judgment, and I reject your judgment. You can't say it either, right? Aholiab, son of mm -hmm, uh, the tribe of Dan, to be with him. I have placed wisdom within every skilled craftsman in order, sorry, in order to make all that I have commanded you. Notice it says in verse 6 that I have, that's implying God speaking. God has given another person with the same passion in the same place to fulfill his purpose. God always surrounds his purpose with people 
who are willing to do it. It was never intended to be a solo endeavor. God will surround you with people to accomplish his will. He has a pattern of doing this all throughout the Bible. King David had Jonathan. In this story, Moses has had Aaron. Ruth had Naomi. Paul had Timothy. Jesus had the disciples. God always brings people around his purpose. So here's a question for you. Who has God surrounded you with? Right now, in the context of your life, at your job, with your family, with your friends, with your life group, and your team, on the ministry that you serve in, who has God surrounded you with? Because legacies are never created in isolation. In fact, there are two purposes for the people around you right now. Two purposes only. Either A, for them to help you fulfill your purpose, or for you to help them fulfill theirs. Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time, right? The GOAT, the greatest of all time. It don't matter if you watched them play or not. Kids still today recognize him as the greatest of all time unless they're sipping that Kool-Aid and they say LeBron James. Even Michael Jordan had to have Scottie Pippen. He needed a championship caliber team around him with a championship caliber coach, Phil Jackson, in order to win the prize. Who has God surrounded you with? We're going to skip right over to Exodus chapter 36 really quick. Exodus chapter 36. Basically, over the next few chapters, Bezalel and Aholiab and these men begin the construction of the Ark of the Covenant. It's going great. How many of you know that when God God is exalted, people start talking. It draws people unto him. The children of Israel come by, they're like, man, this is awesome. Look at this. That's so cool. How How do I become a part of this? What can I do to be a part of what God is doing? What am I going to do with what God has given me? And so they start bringing their gold and their family heirlooms that they have had for for years, for years and years, and they brought with them from Egypt. And they start bringing it to this one place and laying it down and saying, whatever you can do with this, that's what I want to do. Whatever I can do to be a part of what God is doing, that's what I want to do. And this is crazy. Because in verse 5, Bezalel is standing before Moses, and they're in a little situation he says to Moses, Bezalel says to Moses, the people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord commanded to be done. And after Moses gives an order, right, he sends a proclamation to thousands and tens of thousands of people of the nation of Israel throughout the camp. He says, let no man or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped And in verse 7, the materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. How we long as a pastoral staff for this to be true in our church. That we would be so compelled to change the thing that breaks God's heart. That we'd be so compelled to get involved with what God is doing here at the bridge. That we would move from a place of saying, well, what about me? To a place of saying, what about this? What can I do? What can I give? How can I serve? Pastor Farrell would love to stand stand up here one day and say, you know what, guys? We don't need anyone in the nurseries. There's more than enough. We don't need need you guys to go to the soup kitchen. There's more than enough. We don't need you guys to serve at the riot. There's more than enough. We don't need to give to FCA anymore. Maybe we do. There's more than enough, right? There's more than enough. That's what happens when his children line their purpose up with his. What would it look like? If we were to join in with what God is doing, what would it look like if just like this were the response 
of the people of God to the purpose of God was so incredible that they had to tell people to stop. That leads me back to that question, what am I going to do with what God has given me? If I want to leverage this one and only life, I don't know about you, I don't plan on coming back as a tree or a dog, right? My one and only life, right? If I want to leverage my one and only life, what am I going to do with what God has given me? This legacy that I'm building, this legacy that you're building is by default or design. So what are you going to do with what God has given you? Excuse me. A couple things I want to tell you about legacy really quick, and then we're going to get out of here. From this story, the first one is this. Our legacy is less about us and more about him. Now, if you're in this place and you love God and you've loved God for a while, it's easy for you to amen that. If you're still kind of figuring this thing out, and you're like, ah, I don't know about that, right? Our legacy is less about us and it's more about him. See, God didn't choose Bezalel because he wanted to show off his incredible crafting skills. No, he wanted to display his presence on the earth. He wanted to showcase his glory. Our legacy isn't about us, it's about him. And so I want to tell you this one thing. God has a purpose for the passions that you have right now. God has a purpose for it. Why, you ever wonder why you care about some of the things that you care about so much? When you see something, when you hear something, when you read something, you drive by something. You ever wonder why your heart breaks a little bit? Uh, Bill Hybels, which is an incredible church leader and pastor in Willow Creek, uh, calls it your, um, your holy discontent. This righteous anger, when you see something, you're like, man, someone should do something about that. Have you guys seen the kids washing up on the beach in Turkey? Toddlers trying to escape the evil that's in Syria. When I see that, my heart breaks. Someone should do something about that. When I, when I, when I see videos and statistics about... Um, Girls and guys caught in sex trafficking, age 12, is the average age of a, of a kid to be kidnapped, sold into sex slavery, forced to have average of 20 acts of sex per day. Somebody should do something about that. When we go to Belize, when we go to Kentucky, when we go to the soup kitchen, when we go to the base for the Dr. Dorn program, somebody should do something about that. There's a reason that we care so much. And if you've ever asked that question or you've ever made the statement, somebody should do something about that, I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants you to do something about it. There's a reason that your heart breaks. There's a reason that you care about that. Because God has a purpose for the passions that you have. God has a purpose for them, and we should be compelled to change the things that break his heart. I just want to remind you, and I know you guys hear it all the time, and you're like, man, if I hear one more serving opportunity or one more serving sermon or giving sermon, but I just got to be honest with you, man, there is an opportunity for you to do that in this house. It's not, it's not the only opportunity, but it is, it is a opportunity. If you would move from a, a, a what about me mindset to a what about this, the people of God responded to the purpose of God and they started saying, what about this? How can I be involved? What can I do? What can I give? How can I serve? To the point where it was more than enough. When you align your passions with the purpose that God has for you, 
you begin to understand that my legacy is, le is less about me and it's more about him. The second one is this. Our legacy is about them. My legacy is about them. Because God has a purpose for the place that you are at. God has a purpose for the place that you are right now. Your location here in Goldsboro. Some of you moved here from, you know, military or whatever, and you're like, what the heck, God? Goldsboro, really? Wayne County, Johnson County? We got the Smithfield Atlas. Hey, we are getting a Smithfield chicken and barbecue. Praise the Lord. Come on. Goldsboro, really? My job? This isn't the path I would have chose. Right? I'm 26 years old. I got three kids. Hello, God. What's going on, man? You know? And he's like, this is your fault, not mine. Um, and you're right. Um, the season of life. God has a purpose for the place that you're at. Listen to me, everyone in here, man. There is no season that you are in that excuses you from using what God has given you to glorify him. You, whether you're a student, you're, a, you're a retired, you're a businessman, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're married, you're single, you got kids, your kids are grown. Never at a time are you supposed to be like, okay, I'm good to go. Until we reach perfection, which will be the end of this life when we are with Jesus, there is a purpose for the place that we are at. And I'm here to tell you that it's, it's less about where you are and it's more about what you do where you are that honors God. It's not about when I get here or when I get that place or when I get that title. I understand it's about what you do with where you are. Bezalel could have made a bajillion was that a word? Uh, excuses, right? He wasn't in the perfect place, but God gave him a passion, and he knew that God had purpose, a purpose for the place that he was at. He knew that his legacy was about them because God has a purpose for the people that you're with. He has a purpose for the passions you have, the place that you're at, and the people that you are with. Um, this is probably my most prized possession um, that I have. I, I collect sports memorabilia, have for a large part of my life. This particular ball is from the greatest pitcher in mankind. I don't care if you took steroids, it's still the best. Uh, haters gonna hate, but this is by uh, autograph from Roger Clemens. The Rocket, you know what I mean? Nastiest split finger you've ever seen in your life. Whoever just booed, you couldn't hit it, so boo again. <laughs> you couldn't hit it. Sorry. Sorry. I couldn't hit it either, brother. I'm just messing, man. So my dad took me, I was about three years old, so they tell me, when he, when he got this. I don't remember it, but I remember when he gave it to me. And for the next 10 to 12 years of my life, we collected everything that we get our hands on. Especially baseball stuff, man. And now I have my own boys. And I remember when Brooke and I got married and we got our house, one of the first things I asked my dad for was, hey man, I know you've got this put up for me and you're going to give it to me later, but can I just have this now? I want to put it in my boys' room. And I've been able to, you know, just buy a few things here and there for them and share that memory with them. Because here's the thing, if you're a parent or a grandparent in this room or you have influence over someone from the next generation, it's not a question of will I pass on something, it's a question of what am I passing on. It's either by default or it is by design. It's not a question of will I, but what am I passing on. And I draw from this passage of Scripture in direction towards my kids 
And it's in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. A lot of you know what it says. I want to read it for you real quick. It says, and you must love the Lord your God. You need to understand that that's a capital L for a reason. It doesn't, it's not a suggestion. Lord means submission, authority, obedience, unconditional love, right? You must love the Lord, capital L, Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then he gives instructions for us who have influence over kids, whether you're a parent, grandparent, coach, teacher, small group leader, volunteer, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Literally, again and again and again, right? Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Essentially, what this is communicating to us to have influence over the next generation is simply this. Leave not an inheritance but a heritage. We're going to get that in just a second, but don't just worry about financial assets. What is the heritage that you're leaving behind? Is your heritage built on the word of God, loving the Lord your God, Lord your God, with all your heart and all your soul? Because your legacy is about them. And I realize not everybody in here is a parent or a grandparent. It still applies to you, though. Your legacy is about them. It's about the people that he's placed around you. They're not just your coworkers. I understand it's hard to love them sometimes, but they're not just your coworkers. They're not just your life group. God has a purpose for the people that you are with. Here's what this statement, this legacy is about them, automatically makes us evaluate. Am I actually living the life of the values that I want to leave behind? We get, we get in that trap sometimes as parents, right? We want our kids to do right. We want them to be respectful. We want them to honor God and love God and serve God. And, but then sometimes we forget to live that same life. But our legacy is about them. The last one is this. Our legacy is about eternity. Our legacy is about eternity. And I've got this rope here on stage. Obviously, thank you, Josh. Uh, This rope here, and I just want you to pretend that this rope just goes on and on and on and on and on, okay? Because this rope is going to represent a timeline of your life and my life. This little red mark here on the rope, everybody see that? Represents your time here on earth. For most of us, we would define legacy by what we do here. But legacy is about eternity. Most of us in this room say, if I work really hard for this bit of time, then I can enjoy this little bit of time. And we totally neglect all of this. But if our legacy is about him and our legacy is about them, then ultimately our legacy is about eternity. What we do now directly impacts what we do here. Our legacy is about eternity. So what are we going to do with what God has given us? What are you going to do with what God has given you? Again, legacy happens when we move from a place of what about me to what about this? What about this? What What if if I give this? What if I serve here? What if I go there? 
Because my legacy is not about me. It's about God. It's about the people that I'm with. It's about the place that I'm at. And it is about eternity. You know, building the Ark of the Covenant is a pretty, uh, pretty big deal. Right? If you go back and study the scriptures and look at that timeline, constructing the Ark of the Covenant, that's how they worship God for years. But after this complete, Bezalel and Aholiab are never mentioned again in the Bible. You don't see them anywhere else. But here thousands and thousands of years later on, on October, I wish, on September 6th, we are talking about Bezalel and Aholiab. That's legacy. That's legacy. As you stand to your feet really quick, I want to leave you with one final thought. Legacy is simply this. Living a life that points back to God. Living a life that points back to God. If you would just close your eyes just for a second, bow your head. For some of us in this room, we didn't necessarily get handed a godly legacy, right? The things that came before us, some of the people that came before us didn't necessarily live a life to point it back to God. So for some of us in this room, you're going to have to start fresh. It might mean you're the first person in your family to do something. Or the first person in your family not to do something. You're going to have to take a stand and understand that your legacy that you leave, and you're leaving a legacy, whether it's by default or by design, is about him, it's about them, and it is about eternity. And if I want my life when I'm dead and gone, and even not just dead and gone, while I'm here on this earth, to have an imprint that will point back to God, then there's some things in my life that I need to change, some things in my life that I need to do, some things in my life that I need to start. And it starts by understanding that God has a purpose for the passions that you have, for the place that you're at, for the people that's in it. And it's all about His glory. So across this room with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to ask you this question. What are you going to do with what God has given to you? If you're in this room this morning and you would say that you need a fresh start, you need to accept Christ, you need to, that's, I mean, how do you leave a godly legacy without starting there, right? It's a great place to start. If that's you in this room and you would acknowledge that that would be you, would you just simply lift your hand up really quick, just put it up high, and you can put it right back down. If that's you in this room, I see those hands. Thank you so much. Is there anyone else? I see those hands in the back. Yes. Understand that God is, is looking at you and he's, he's opening his arms to you right now. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray really quick. And I want everyone to pray this prayer. So if you would, out loud, everyone pray this prayer with me. Come on. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for loving us in spite of us. We believe in you, God. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for me, not just to save me, 
but to restore me, to give me my purpose back. And we say thank you for using me and choosing me. Help me leave this place and leave a life that points back to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Put your hands together. Come on. Come on, put your hands together.